Hello, this is Sahilsit coming to you from Brandon, Manitoba, the homelands of the Dakota, the Cree, OG Cree, Kaska, Dene, uh, Metis peoples, and all the guests that come to Manitoba. And this is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. And today's podcast is called Lost Generations. I was, I've been reflecting a lot on our mental health challenges that we have as people. And I would hear angry people. I'd hear myself being angry. I'd hear people and see people that would look depressed. And I would be depressed at times. Or what they call anxiety, being fearful, being fearful of making a mistake of being fearful of not looking good or, you know, all those different fears that human beings have. And I was thinking of the, the culture and the traditions where they would, I'm so lucky that I come, I feel it was the ones that were still themselves, original people that did not go to residential school. And some of them didn't even go to school. I'm talking about my elders. And they would encourage me not to give up, to find a way to solve my problems. And I would think of them as, I guess, pure culture, pure way of life. And how they seem to not worry so much. There'd be laughter in the air when you'd see them amongst themselves, the elders and their, you know, with their peers. Seemed to be a lot of laughter. And they're talking in their language, and it's the language when that was like music. And I would hear them, and um, they didn't talk about colonization or racism or any of the problems that they were facing at the day. And when I think back, but I, I'm in awe at times of how resilient they were. I would hear people in um, my profession of being a counselor, being a helper, and I would hear the term resilient. And at times I'd hear professionals say, Indigenous people are resilient. And, so, and when I first heard that, it upset me. Then I looked up the word resilient, and it means to the ability to recover quickly after being traumatized. The elders I was referring to were resilient, very resilient. And I know it come from when I look back and, I, and my imagination, I know that it was their daily practice of cleansing their mind in their body and their spirit with traditional methods. To like I heard this term garbage in, garbage out. They would do that consistently <laughs> of cleansing negativity from their system. You know, from greeting the day, prayers for the day, the end of the day, Thanksgiving for food. I had see elder, I seen an elder once, an old man with a glass of water against his forehead. And I asked Auntie, what's, what's Grandpa doing? 
He's talking to the water. He's thanking the water for his life. And she said, he wants his grandchildren to have water. I could, whoa, when I think about that today, I'm thinking of how that kind of attitude could help with mental health. Just been grateful to have an attitude of gratitude. So I'd think of those, and I thought of myself and my children and grandchildren, that in a sense we're the lost generations because of residential school, 60s scoop, and those different historical events, because we weren't hearing the language and the laughter and role modeling about how to cleanse yourself of negative energy, how to stay strong, how to be, how to be an original person from Mother Earth where you're standing. How to be that. No identity confusion, no feelings of being a stupid Indian or any of the things that we heard through the air, I heard as I was growing up. That definitely impacted me and my, what they call mental health, the strength of my mind. Because over the years, I started to understand what being healthy really means. To have a sound mind, sound body, and sound spirit. In my mind, you know, for so many years, I was conflicted in my mind. Ashamed of who I was, proud of who I was. You know, that's a conflict, you know. So now I just feel proud of who I am. I'm steadily, I'm. You know, I feel that. It feels good. Because at one time I had the doubts because I wasn't fluent in the language. I didn't do all what they were doing and what they call the cultural way of life. So I've been thinking of um, the lost generations. I've been to communities across Canada, right from the east coast of Labrador, Newfoundland, to the west coast of Vancouver Island. And I would see and hear the same. And it's not for everyone. Not all the people were angry or depressed or afraid, but I would see them. And those are the ones I was hired actually to go talk to and be with. So I got to experience it. I'm so lucky I got called that people would trust me to go be of assistance. So I, I, I would hear anger, fear, depression, and hear um, the helper saying, yeah, they don't want to come and see me. I'm the counselor here. Or it's hard to get, especially the men. This is what I hear right across the country. The men don't seem to want to come for healing or to for counseling or for help. And they would ask me, Jerry, do you know, do you know how, to, how we can fix that? And I'd say, no. <laughs> In a spot, I couldn't. Uh, now I'd, I have some ideas today how to change that. 
And I know it's very important that we do start to get our men back on their feet. And then there's so much. Then we, then we talk of the violence and the lateral violence and all of those. So that's why today, you know, I search for people to share with that work in the field of healing. And because healing means to help people to be original after they've been harmed. So if our mind is harmed, because my mind as an example was harmed by the word stupid Indian that I heard as a child that harmed me, that impacted my life, how I felt about myself, how I felt about life. So the lost generations, I believe, are coming home. There's more and more interest in our culture today. I see it and I feel it and I hear it. And there are more of our people answering the call now to come forward to see what they can do, which I celebrate when I see people and hear people like that. Our people being part of the solution. That's, uh, it's so powerful for me to see that, to hear it, to feel it. Because in the sense, you know, I've been in this way living in isolation. I go work when they call me and I work, I'm what they call a road man. So when they call me over there, I go over there. <laughs> you know, when they call me over there, I go over there. So in a sense, I don't have like a solid group that I work with all the time, you know, five days a week in an office or something. So the blessing for that is I hear many voices. After today's podcast, I know, because I'm feeling, like I told you last week, I was feeling down and stuff as we were before the podcast. And but I'm, now I'm feeling myself come up again. I feel my energy. I'm waking up again, you know, because we have a mission to help those in my language, pilp or pahosh. Pilp means they're lost. Pahosh means they're stuck, their mind is stuck in one place. They cannot move. It seems like they cannot move. So today, I'm so lucky I have wonderful guests with me today. And one of my awarenesses as an indigenous male is that many of the, much of the healing movement is in the hands of the life givers. I see that wherever I go social workers, nurses, doctors, you know. We have males too, but the majority is, is female. And that's so, and uh, as I say that to myself, it's comforting to me, <laughs> you know, because uh, one of my biggest supports in my community was our indigenous nurse. I had to go get, make an excuse to go see her, <laughs> you know, because she's, she's so kind. And, uh, you know, I just feel medicine just from the sound of her voice. So I'd like my, my guests to introduce themselves and share with them, because, you know, we have listeners from all over Canada, United States, and actually the world. You know, and my hope all the time is that there's be inspiration and motivation from hearing our voices, and more importantly, hearing our story. So when you introduce yourself, I'd like you to Share what inspired you to do what you're doing today. 
And uh, there are challenges for everything we do. And how did you overcome those? And what keeps you strong, keeps you moving in this field? Because we're in the health field and health fields are good news, bad news. That's just the way it is. You know, some people recover, some people don't. You know, so if you can introduce yourself and where you're from, a bit about your family, but about this career of being a service provider in the health field. So that's how I'd like us to proceed here. And um, so, Cassie, can I get you to start off and um, introduce yourself and share with the people? Yeah, thanks, Elder Jerry. Thanks for opening us up in such a good way. And before we had a chance to actually start the recording together, we had a chance to have a little bit of a visit before and much of what you just spoke about are things that Audrey and Nikki and myself were speaking to about the importance of healers within our communities and the role of women and how we have a lack of men doing this work and they hold a very special place in healing as well. And um, I think there's some work to do in encouraging that that piece, but I'll go back to what you just asked me, Elder Jerry, and mm -hmm. uh, do a bit of an introduction. So thank you for having Addiction Women, everyone. Good morning. My name is Cassie Michelle. Um, I identify myself as Nilkepa, part of Conclecton, so a small community of Kanaka Bar, just outside of Lytton, BC. So if you're going towards Agassiz or Boston Bar, it's about 15 kilometers outside of Lytton. We're a pretty small community. There's about 230 of us that are registered with community. Uh, many of us are living away from home uh, due to the housing and the recent loss of Lytton, BC. So my dad is the late Bobby Michelle. Uh, he was the son of Agnes Michelle and Andrew Stewart. My mom is Shelly Niehaus. Uh, I'm Métis and German on my mom's side. And most days I join in from uh, to Kamloops here where I'm a guest. I was born and raised on these lands and I'm grateful to be in the unceded and continually illegally occupied lands here. I have a four-year-old son named Ryan and a partner named Adam. And uh, professionally, I'm, I'm a nurse by background, so I've been an LPN since 2010. And I think I knew from a very early age that I was going to be a helper. I spent a lot of my younger years uh, at an elder's home in Kamloops here. My mom was a carried. And so the transition of shift work, uh, my dad worked on CP Rail. I spent a lot of time at, at the care home either uh, getting people tea or visiting. Uh, my brother would put on these like concerts with a little, he really liked to play the recorder. So we had like a little duo act going on there and uh, it just seemed like a natural progression. And so I started my career off as a, an LPN. And then in 2014, uh, my dad was diagnosed with late stage prostate cancer with bone metast metastases. And so uh, he was admitted into the hospital here in Kamloops. And I just... I had I realized that my dad was a residential school survivor before that, but his reinstitutionalization was a turning point in my life where I actually witnessed um, the trauma that he'd experienced as a child and how that was showing up in his later years and how he needed the support of his family and particularly myself because I am a nurse and I and I understand this part of the world a bit better than most. Um, that I really needed to focus my attention and dedication towards advancing Indigenous health and supporting uh, the eradication of Indigenous-specific racism within the healthcare field. So from there, I, I, um, 
progressed to a patient navigator. I was a cultural safety educator, and now I'm the lead for Indigenous health and cultural safety working at BC Mental Health and Substance Use. And grateful, grateful Elder Jerry for all of your support and guidance in this work because you have been instrumental in the momentum that we've carried over the past year. We have lots of work to do, and I, I, um, I think one of the biggest challenges, and this has come up recently for myself, is just there's a limited amount of people that have done their own personal healing to be able to do this work, and the work is very heavy and it's hard, and often goes unrecognized by. Um, our non-Indigenous colleagues. And the load is not just the workload of doing briefing notes and attending meetings and coordinating committees to start the work, but it's actually the mental, spiritual, and emotional labor that goes into this day in and day out, because it's not four o'clock or our job doesn't end. It's a 24-hour commitment to this work. And so when we see people that are losing their lives at the hands of racist healthcare systems and not being able to access culturally relevant programming within mental health and substance use, that impacts us day in and day out. And for me, it, it does hit me on different levels. Some days I am more emotional. Some days I have that righteous anger where I'm just so I don't even know really how to articulate it, but I could just get so frustrated with the lack of momentum and movement. But I think that's also what drives me is we see these pockets of work and we see the individuals that are championing this and where there's, you know, headway that's being made. And I look at all of the work across the different areas and the work that Nikki's doing and the work that Audrey's doing and Elder Jerry, what you've done for decades. And I see myself a personal responsibility to continue on with this because of, um, you know, I think about my dad specifically, my dad endured a lot of going to St. George's for nine years. And if he can survive that, then I can survive. I can keep going. I can keep doing the hard work because of that. And I do it for not only the generations that are here and that have come before, but the ones that have yet to come. And I look at my son and how I don't want him to have to do this hard work. So I can keep going. I can break the trail a little bit more right? And the more that we do this, the more people that we can bring in to say, hey, let's do this together, right? We're stronger together than we are apart. So I think I'll leave it at that and I'll hand it over uh, to the next person to share, Elder Jerry. Thank you, Cassie. Yeah, Audrey. By Hostin Kekwishan. Good morning. My traditional name is Kekwishan. My English name is Audrey Ward. Um, I'm an Upper Nicola Band member because I'm part of the Seelk Nation. I'm coming to you today from um, my own beautiful territory, uh, close to Kulshana, BC, and uh, Merritt, BC, and the beautiful Nicola Valley. We're also neighboring to the Iskapuk um, Nation. Thank you, um, Elder Jerry, for the beautiful song and opening us in a good way. And um, thank you for honoring me by inviting me to be part of this podcast. Uh, thank you, Cassie, for sharing. Um, it's good to be here with you too, Nikki. Uh, those are such great questions that you're asking, Jerry. <laughs> but I'll just start by connecting others to my family. So my grandfather, um, my Kikwa, he was Billy McLeod, and he was from Spachman or Douglas Lake. My uh, Stemtima was Lashat Saddleman from Koshana. Um, my late mother was Jeanette um, McLeod McMaster. 
and my late father was Bill McDonald. Um, so I'm mixed heritage, so I also belong to the clan McDonald. So on my father's side, I'm Scottish, German, Irish. <clears throat> um, so I'm proud of my Celtic background too. Uh, I have three beautiful sons, uh, Jason, Jeff, and Ryan, three beautiful grandchildren. Um, really blessed um, to be living where I am and have uh, a wonderful husband. Uh, we've been married 45 years. We've had our ups and downs, but we've made it through some of the hardest parts. And, um, and I just own those hardest parts because they were induced by my own trauma. So, you know, I had to do my own healing and be accountable for my behavior and make amends and do all those things as part of um, my growth. An elder once told me that once you start your healing journey, you're on it for the rest of your life. So those were wonderful words that she told me because, you know, I've, I've regressed to um, previous behavior that was comfortable for me. You know, this is a trauma response. And, um, and so, you know, I've just been able to learn compassion for myself and to move forward in a good way and to keep healing so that, you know, my husband doesn't have to uh, endure what I put him through and, and my children. I can, I could stop that generational trauma here and so that my children and grandchildren can live a better life. And that's my responsibility. So gratitude was mentioned this morning. And so I'm still feeling that sense of gratitude I was sharing with the group this morning the ladies that I woke up to the sound of robin singing and spring is here and on my walk last night we saw buttercups and uh yeah, there's new life springing up here and there and everywhere and people are out thinking about gathering medicines now and um I love the idea of this podcast where our voices are medicine and I love how you shared Jerry that you reach out to people who are just being close to them is medicine you know their voices, the sound of their voice and that comfort. And it's a wonderful feeling. Being out on the land is precious to us. Um, all this takes time though, because we have to wade through all this trauma, right? To get to this place where we can actually be uh, at peace with peace, right? To, to feel that we're worthy of this peace. And um, that's a, a lot of unpacking of trauma to get to a place of worthiness. Um, my background is in social work. Um, I have a master's degree from UBC Okanagan, uh, specifically for rural mental health. So rural areas are my passion. Um, we don't have enough services in rural areas. And so that's something I advocate for a lot in my new role as a practice lead with a mental illness team in the interior health network. <laughs> So uh, I also worked for eight years uh, previous to this new job I have in the uh, Merritt Hospital as a mental health substance use clinician. So, and before that, my career was mainly focused on children. So I'm also an art therapist and um, I loved working with children, loved helping them, you know, and that's what really drew me into the field um, was, you know, my own painful childhood and recognizing when I look at children and I see the pain and I see their fear, you know, I could see me and uh, I just try to, you know, try to make a difference. So play therapy and art therapy are a passion of mine. Expressive therapies are a very important part of uh, the healing process alongside with talk therapies. Um, 
and then, you know, as a student uh, going to NVIT, learning the truth the first time about uh, colonization, because it wasn't taught to me in school. So learning the truth as a student in my 30s about what happened to my mom in residential school, you know, it really, it really galvanized my healing journey. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for it because it helped me heal my relationship with my mother and my father because he was traumatized too. We know that trauma doesn't pick favorites. <laughs> it, it goes across the globe and it impacts everyone. Colonization has, trauma has, you know, there's no barriers there for trauma. So my siblings and I grew up in a very traumatic home. And to this day, my siblings and I are still not very close. You know, we're, we're doing the best we can, but that's part of our healing journey. So we continue on that path. Um, I've come full circle with Nicola Valley Institute of Technology. I'm now an instructor there. I teach part-time. So I teach uh, trauma-informed social work practice and I teach decolonizing mental health. So I do that in my spare time. <laughs> um, but I was also sharing with the ladies this morning that I approach that in a very humble way because I've also come full circle from my own family's experience in residential school. My mother is a survivor of the Indian Residential School in Tecumwins, Camelot, BC. And my grandfather is a survivor of Indian Hospital, um, Kokolitsa. So now I'm working in the health system, trying to make things better so that no none of my people have to experience what my grandfather did, Kokolitsa. And I'm teaching in an education system so that students can have a safe learning environment compared to what my mother had. You know, and then I'm in this interior health position now trying to decolonize um, a very racist system. You know, and I make a joke that, you know, we're so racist, we don't know we're racist. <laughs> you know? And it's really about, you know, if we soften those words, it's about our, our bias, our internal biases. You know, that's the catchphrase these days. But really what it comes down to is racism because we're not born this way. We're taught to be this way. And sadly, we're taught by people who we look up to, who are supposed to love and trust. And so it becomes ingrained. It's not just a thought anymore. It's literally who we are. We've become so racist. And so it's it's a lot of work to unpack this. And as an Indigenous person of mixed heritage growing up off reserve, I've had to unpack my own colonized way of thinking. You know, um, Elder Jerry, you spoke so eloquently at the beginning of this podcast about um, hearing those words, you know, you know, that you're a dirty Indian, that you should be ashamed and all these things. My mom grew up like that. My grandmother, my grandfather, my grandfather, my grandparents were not even considered human beings under Canadian law. You know, and that wasn't that long ago, at least not for me. Um, and my mother was... Um, her rights were taken away when she married my white father. And so we were all raised off reserve with no rights. And we didn't get those back until Bill C-31. And then we faced pushback from our own people. Well, we don't want you. We don't want you Bill C-31. So we got labeled by our own people. So <clears throat> again, it's that internalized oppression by our own people. And then we pass that on to our own people, right? The colonizers did a good job on us so that now that all this ladder violence is still out there. So <clears throat> all of these things motivated me to move into the helping field and do the best I can. 
And, you know, I try to focus on one person at a time, one child at a time, one family at a time, one student at a time, because we know that if we just throw that one rock into the pond, it has a ripple effect and it goes out. And now here in interior health, if I can, you know, get one ally on board and start speaking about mental health, you know, from an indigenous perspective and making sure that our voice is heard at the table, that we are at the table and that uh, our voices are heard so that they're not just consulting with us, that they're actually implementing the things that we're suggesting, um, you know, and this, um, I also want to speak about anger as part of our collective grief process. And I get angry too, and I, I get upset too, and um, I get passionate. And I have to rein that in sometimes, and um, that's okay too. But I was just at um, a very poignant meeting in a territory that's close to us right now, and they're going through what we're all going through is indigenous people in the opioid crisis. We're losing so many of our loved ones and they're angry and they're because they're hurting underneath the anger is hurt and pain. And we talk about exhaustion, you know, mental fatigue and our people are begging the systems to help. Literally, we need your help. We need you to work together and help us. Right. And so we've got to listen to that message and we've got to, you know, help the helpers. We've got to support each other in this work because it is exhausting. And then we need to take time for ourselves and recalibrate. We need to go down to the water. We need to wash. We need to pray. We need to go into the sweat lodge. We need to go for a hike to the top of a mountain and get some wood ticks, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Brush them off and come back down. Um, you know, and I'm so looking forward to riding my horse this weekend. Um, you know, just getting on the gift of the four-legged and um, riding our horses is medicine for us. So taking care of each other and not being afraid to admit that we're only human. You know, we, we are the humblest of the race that the creator created. And he gave us all these emotions for a reason. And if we can just lean into them and not be afraid of them, cry when we need to cry, get mad when we need to get mad and be joyful when it's time for that as well. Grieve our collective loss. You know, the 215 that were found um, in Kemlops, uh, you know, they've really, they've really awakened our spirit, I believe. And, they're the truth and we can't deny the truth anymore as Canadians we cannot deny what's happened and so um I just want to end on a positive note too that I've noticed there's a big resurgence of Indigenous people you know reaching out for help also being willing to help and we see more and more people coming together at powwows coming together for ceremony um, celebrating each other, uh, the language is coming back, we're using it more. All of these things are wonderful. And um, I know my grandparents and my, my parents would be happy that this was happening, but they're also telling 
us to keep going, right? That we have, we've got a lot of work to do. And um, colonization didn't happen overnight and our healing isn't gonna happen overnight, but we've got to keep calling out the racist systems and we've got to keep doing this hard work. And then Elder also said to me, well, who else but you, Audrey? <laughs> like, oh, shucks. Because <laughs> I keep looking behind me, like, who's the adult in the room? <laughs> right? And she's looking right at me. She's like, you. <laughs> oh, shucks. So, but knowing that I can't do it by myself and that, um, so I'm glad to be part of this panel today in this discussion. So that's it for now. Uh, thank you for listening. And I'll pass it over to Nikki. All my relations. Thank you, Audrey. Okay, Nikki. So nice to meet you. Yeah, white. Um, nice to meet you, Jerry. Uh, for the song and for the opening. And um, so white to quite Nikki Rose Hunter Porter and Squest Staus to Sahuatmk as to Aquin to Kamloops to Sahuatmk Amumtwin Nehapaa Bill Porter Fred Hunter Nehkiaa I've many grandmothers. Uh, Rose Seymour Porter, Kathy Ignis Porter, Nellie Taylor, and Lavina Hunter. Nakika Debbie Allendahl Porter, and Nakacha uh, Rick Wallace Gordon Hunter. Uh, it's nice to be here with you all today. Uh, my name is Nikki Rose Hunter Porter, and I am Sahuatm First Nation from Staus uh, Bonaparte First Nation within the Southern Interior BC, British Columbia, and um, I'm I am humble and and proud to be from Staus, and I shared my family uh, members there. My grandfather is Bill Porter, uh, Fred Hunter. My grandmothers are Rose Seymour Porter, Kathy Ignis, um, Nellie Taylor, and Lavina Hunter. My mother is Debbie Allendahl Porter, and my fathers are Gordon Hunter and Rick Wallace. And I position myself in this way because I honor all of the homes that live within my heart and within my spirit. So my blood is Sahuatmk, and I live within the Sahuatmk territory. And I'm really grateful and humbled to live within the lands of Sahuatmkulu into Kamloops to Sahuatmk. Um, I spent most of my childhood uh, within the Statlium territory within Lowat First Nation. And that's where uh, one of my fathers, Rick Wallace, um, is from. And I'm I was upset with my mom that she moved us away from Stouse when I was eight years old. Um, but I'm really grateful. I reflect back on it and I'm so grateful for the connections and the family that um, I have within that territory. And my father is non-Indigenous, and he and his family actually grew up within um, the northern Statlium uh, on the lands of, the Sh of Shalath um, and uh, Seton Portage there. And so I spent a lot of my childhood as well in Shalath um, up, in the, up in that country. And I like to go back there as often as I can, take that crazy forest road over that mountain um, and, uh, he, um, although he was non-Indigenous, he was, him and his family were really accepted by the, the, the community there. And so oftentimes you'll hear, uh, the peoples of those communities, uh, refer to my, my dad as their brother. Um, and so I'm grateful for, you know, 
my family and and they're always there to support me and guide me and I always hold my hands up to them especially my mother um, who is the strongest woman that I've ever have known and I think of her all the time and and it is why I'm able to lean and leap into these uh, wonderful crazy paths that my life has gifted me um and so my background I'm a registered nurse um, and primarily I've worked within uh, First Nations communities within my nursing career. So I've been um, community employed or band employed. And a lot of my role is working alongside the community with the goals and visions they have um, within their health and wellness plans and just trying to meet the need the best I can. And really uh, walking alongside the peoples. And so as a nurse within um, my positions, the way that I move forward is really looking at decentralizing the power that I have. Um, and I think within healthcare, right, especially health professionals, we, we, because we have, you know, gone through these education systems or have these acronyms behind our names, there's just this inherent power that comes when we walk into the room with an elder. And so what I try to do always is decentralizing that power as soon as I walk into that room and, whether that be uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I'm always mindful of that uh, because I truly believe that that person is, is in control and they are the ones who are in power of their own health and wellness journey. And I'm coming in as a helper to help guide them along that journey. And so I'm really grateful for all of the, the elders and peoples that I've been able to support through my nursing career because they really helped teach me that way of providing care because I did not learn that within the Western academic institutions for where we get our degrees. And so some will say that that was me decolonizing my practice. I don't know what to label it personally, um, but some call it that, right? And so I'm really grateful for the teachings and the knowledge. And I'm hoping that they felt the reciprocity, that sharing of within that relationship. And um Right now, I'm kind of moving through a really unique process. I'm actually just finishing my master's of nursing degree. I uh, defend my thesis next Friday. So my brain is sort of all over the place. And my focus was on um, mental health and wellness. So the title of my research, which I partnered with my home community of Stouts, is Exploring the Experiences of First Nations Mental Wellness with Swupakin. And Swupakin uh, in Sohuatmukshin is our porcupine. And uh, specifically using the porcupine story, um, and I'm just learning how to say these words, but and that's the story of the porcupine. And it all situates within the within the within our traditional stories, our steps, um, which are oral histories that have been around since time of memorial. And they guide who we are as Sohuatmuk. Um, they guide, you know, the land, the laws, and and all of our whole beings in connection with the Tamuk, the land. And so I'm grateful that I'm able to uh, lean into story and learn from story, learn from the beings in the stories, because Hupakin is, is the main uh, being in the story, but there's also elk and swan and skelep, coyote are in the story. And so I've really learned that, you know, even myself uh, walking alongside or embodying Swupakin through this journey uh, within mental health and wellness. And really the whole point of my research is elevating the voices of the peoples to help inform services. Um, 
And my home community is a rural community. And so that's often been my focus within my nursing career as well, is working within rural communities. So I'm able to not only uh, use the relation that I have with my community, the member, the peoples and community, and as well reflecting back on all of the opportunities that I've had sitting with the peoples, sitting in the park, like I would never I'm I believe in outreach, I would never just sit in my office and as, as a nurse, like I would go to the people I would go to the park and I would set up there. And I'd be in the park all day, I would have coffee and donuts have my naloxone kits, because I really truly believe that it's connection. It's the connection that people need. And oftentimes I found that there was so many spaces of disconnection, whether that be within their own identity or within their community, within health services, like there was so many areas that people were disconnected. And so I felt like, okay, you know, what is my role as a helper? Uh, what is my role as a nurse? as an Indigenous nurse, as a First Nations nurse, as a Thou's nurse. And for me, it was maybe I can create a connection and maybe that connection then can form other pathways so that people feel safe in accessing care, maybe somewhere down the road, maybe tomorrow, maybe five years from now, they'll remember, hey, I remember talking to Nikki in the park and she was able to, to give me a bit of um, education or some knowledge about naloxone. Or she was able to talk to me about, you know, um, her own experiences, you know, within healthcare, right? And so, um, and I moved through that in a really humble way. Um, and I really try to uh, create sort of that, um, that space of sharing and reciprocity and, and acknowledging that it's an exchange, right, that reciprocity, because not only was I there to help and support peoples along their path, but they were also giving back to me. And so I always use that knowledge as a gift. And I try to carry that forward in everything that I do um, and really to, um, and not to elevate me, but just to really elevate the voices of the people. And um, I think I, I talked a little bit about, I, that's what inspires me, I think, as a nurse, if I'm going to backtrack. Um, <laughs> and, and really, you know, reflecting back on, you know, why am I in this career? And it, it's unfortunate because I've experienced a lot of racism as a child. Um, and I continue to experience racism as an adult, but I felt like I wasn't smart enough. And I, I've had people actually tell me that you are not smart enough to be a nurse. You're not smart enough to go to university. And so I always thought back to my my mother, who obviously uh, really tried to um, instill that confidence that you are enough. And my chapa'a, my grandfather, who would hold me in his arms and say, I love you, my girl. And and he always wanted us to be nurses. I remember that my grandfather wanted all of his uh, his grandchildren to be nurses. And so. You know, I really thank my my mother and my grandfather because they really did believe in me. And my mom actually applied for university for me. She forged my signature, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's okay to talk about it now, um, but I wouldn't be here without them. And so, you know, and my mom, she, my my mother and the generation before that uh, attended Kamloops uh, Indian Residential School. And so I think, you know, there was a lot of things that we had to navigate as a child. And now that we're kind of moving through that as an adult, then, um, you know, I think my saving grace within my mental health journey has really been that connection. And for me, really looking at the connection to Sohwatmuk, Sohwatmuk's gene, um, the Kalmuk, the people, 
the Tamuk, the land. And so, you know, for me, um, being by the water, the Southqua has really grounded me in the strength. And I'm grateful for the, the, the teachers and the guides that I have to share in that knowledge. Um, go be by the water, go in the water, light the medicine by the water. And so I wrote something um, that I'll share. I wrote this by the water and it's called Southqua. And um, it was a moment where I was really struggling within my own mental health and wellness journey uh, through my master of nursing degree, um, really trying to create some systems change and transformation for our peoples. And I went into the water and then I wrote this, I said, Pain is healing, dipping into the cold water, Southqua. My fingers ache, my toes ache, my spirit aches, but I need to stay a little longer. The pain starts to change. It feels like everything that I've been holding on to, the hurt, the heartache, the sadness, the disappointment, the worry, the pain, it releases, and I feel strong. I'm ready to take on the world, even for that brief moment. And a memory of my strength, my courage, kindness, connection. I feel like I can do anything. And so that's, uh, that's I'm, I'm reminded and I go back and read and, and I try to situate myself in that way and, and to be grateful. right? I'm glad you made it through the night. And that's an old way of saying good morning in Sohwat Um, And I, I think about that saying, and I translate it in a way to, I'm grateful for the breath. It is a gift to be able to walk another day within Mother Earth. And so that is all I'll share for now. Thank you. Uh, all three of you. Oh, my. It's medicine for me, you know, and um, I guess a common thread for all of us is that we're colonial or decolonize, you know, and um, for myself, I seen myself decolonizing when I quit swearing, because that to me, that's the strongest colonial language there can be when they would swear to indigenous people, you know, effing Indians and stuff like that. So I said, I'm not going to use that language because it's a colonial tool to degrade our people. Then I said, I'm going to decolonize. I'm not going to drink alcohol or do drugs because alcohol is a colonial weapon too. I read in Manitoba here, the Hudson's Bay gave away 2,100 gallons of rum one year just to get the furs and things at the cheapest price possible. So I'm going to decolonize. But that whole quest to be myself got stronger when I was in Labrador in 1993. And I had a chance to talk to elders, and they were the last ones to come on to the reserve-style life. They followed the caribou herds. As children, they were pure <laughs> Inu people. And I was in their community for a month, and they, I was there for two weeks, and they asked to meet with me. And I hadn't seen them, you know, so they, they had us put up this double-wide 
teepee above the Atlantic Ocean on this little cliff. There's flatland up there. And they were asking me about the West Coast, about the people, about uh, what we were going through. So I was honest, and I said, we have addiction problems and violence and suicide, and we're losing our language, and, you know, and uh, they were very curious. After they finished questioning me, they asked me if I had to speak to them through an interpreter, because that's all they spoke was Inu. And uh, they said, ask him if he's got a question for us. And it's just like out of the blue. And I said, yes, I have a question. And I said, why are we this way right across the land? Because I've been from East Coast to West Coast, and I would see the same anger, fear, depression, violence, and poverty. And, and they were having a conversation amongst themselves in their language. And then an interpreter looks at me, and he smiles, and he says, they know, Jerry. I said, oh. What is it? What? Why are we this way? And they spoke to my interpreter, this young man. And he looks at me and he says, Jerry, he said, we're this way because we're breaking our own laws. So de to decolonize, we go back to our own laws of generosity, respect, love, courage, humility, all of those things that kept our communities together before and had us to be healthy individuals. Because when if we have love for ourselves, we love other people. We love the land. We love everything that keeps us alive. It's like a lightning bolt hit my head, and I said, that's true, because I was blaming a church and government for everything. I'm not excusing them. They, 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 they kicked it off. They, they introduced it to us. They forced it on us. We didn't ask to be on a reservation or to be in a residential school or to change our names. That was forced on us. But for us to heal, the elder was saying, we must go back to our own laws that guided us for thousands of years. And I guess that's probably why I was saying lost generations. We didn't hear and see those laws so much anymore. I didn't at residential school. I was in Kamloops. It's all I see is nuns and brothers and my classmates and priests. And they weren't showing me how to cleanse my spirit with medicines. They're telling me to go to church. I know that works for someone. I'm not putting it down, you know, but for myself. When I finally decolonized, when I pick up the medicine, I pick up the tools like this beautiful hand drum, and I cleanse myself, not only with music, but the medicines, you know, and the tools. And I'm so proud of our indigenous cultures, our indigenous way of life, that we had so much I call no-talk therapy. <laughs> we go through a brushing ceremony with branches or 
eagle fans or rattles and drums, and it would affect our energy. Then we can talk about, figure out by talk what, what's been going on. Because I've done that. My first part of my recovery was to accept who I am. I'm part Spanish, Irish, and Statlium. And I say allegedly, because I, I cannot name a grandfather or a great-grandfather or a grandmother or whatever, whoever was Irish and Spanish. But my mother told me, so my late mother told me, so I believe her, that I have that ancestry in me. But I live Statlium the best of my ability. And part of that is being kind, being generous. You know, with my time, with um, medicine, with music, with whatever I have, be generous with it. We're making noise now. One of my elders told me, every time someone steps on you, if you do not make noise, they're going to keep stepping on you. So I want to thank you for making noise with me today to explore and look at what happened and what we can do and how you were helped and how you forgave or started to understand your parents and grandparents because of Kokulitsa or because of the residential school, because I was the same. I resented my parents for not teaching me the language. But they want me to be successful in Canadian society. So my dad said, we, we, we talked it over. We're not going to teach you a language or how to be statly. We wanted you to be successful in Canadian life. That was their thinking. And I forgave them for that. Because for a while I resented them. So we can all be part of the lost generations at times. It can be overwhelming. But I want to thank you for coming today. Because we are part of the solution. Our voices are medicine. And I heard you. Share your life and show us your heart. Because I heard the word connection. And that is critical. That people that are helpers understand we must connect with the people we're working with. Like Nikki, you're probably my distant relative and related to the porters. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, same as um, Cassie, because I'm related to those people, those Litton people, and those people from over there, you know, <laughs> the Nechatmuch people. I have relatives there. I'm just so glad that we're here today. I was feeling lonely for a while. And I thank you for your voices today. You know, to um, to be like those elders, never give up. Hoy, let's go. Hoy, let's go, my friends and relatives. Nothing's going to stop us. Let's go. Let's go. You know. <laughs> So you have helped me today, and I thank you for that. So I'd just like to ask you for some concluding statements. Um, first off, if you can um, share with us your view of what's missing, or the ones that are lost, or 
they feel like they're a lost generation or, you know, what's missing for them. And also to choose a message today that you can give to, I tell panelists you can talk to, mothers, aunties, grandmothers, grandfathers, children, young ladies, give a message to somebody that comes to your mind that your spirit is guided today to give a message to, to inspire and motivate. And that's your choice. Whatever comes up for you, if nothing comes up, it's okay. You know, it's all right. In our culture, there's no have to or should. No, let your spirit speak. So Cassie, if you can just share a few thoughts of what you think might be missing for our lost ones now or the ones that are lost, um, that are struggling, and, and also a message you might have for families or even for Canada. If you have a message for Canada, you can give it today too. I think what we've heard throughout today and what we already know is that the loss of connection and that we are all worthy of connection. It's our birthright as an Catman person. It's my birthright to be connected to my culture, to my community, to the land and to my people. And we are all worthy of that and deserving of that. And so I think finding that connection and I think the responsibility of organizations to commit and invest to incorporating that within the practices and within, I mean, even looking at core budgeting, right? How are we actually investing in Indigenous wellness? And that includes the recruitment of not only Indigenous practitioners that have the credentials behind their name, but also our knowledge keepers, our elders, our healers within the communities and recognizing those gifts and talents and expertise that they bring to the work as well. Because it's not just about talk therapy, and that is a component for a lot of people. It's not just about biomedical Western wellness. It's that connection, the ability to not have to share your story a million times. It's looking at someone like I can connect with each and every one of you today. And there's things that we don't even need to speak about, but we inherently know as Indigenous people. And so um, what I would say, my messaging to the Kalamuk, to the people is you are worthy of care. You are worthy and deserving of healing. And whatever that means to you, it's not going to all be the same. And, and the end goal is not, there is no destination. There is no finish line. It's that journey and that continuum. And I just wish that um, people see that within themselves and that they are loved and they are cared for by, by people and that you are surrounded by love. The message for Canada and I think for British Columbians and people, uh, specifically non-Indigenous folks, is that we have... As Indigenous people, we've already told you what needs to be done. Look at the reports, look at the foundational documents, and start actioning that. And don't rely on Indigenous people to hold your hand in doing this work. You have a responsibility to do this, to pick it up, and to move it forward. And so I encourage you to do that. And um, yeah, I think I'll end with that. And I just really want to acknowledge Audrey, Nikki, and Elder Jerry uh, for bringing us together and for sharing this space and this circle it means a lot when we have an opportunity, I think, to come and to share and, and to speak about the work and look at our own people not in a deficit view, right? We have so much knowledge, strength, and wisdom, and just being able to share that space brings me medicine, and um, my hands go up to all of the work that each of you are doing, and know that, you know, if there's any time that you need support or you need an ear, please let me know. I'm always here. So just gratitude and respect and thankful. Thanks, Elder Jerry. Thanks, Cassie, 
Audrey. Oh, them um yeah. I feel like my spirit's um been filled up this morning too, just sitting in the circle. And, yeah, I get really emotional. Because <laughs> I think about my grandmother and my grandfather and what they went through. What I think is missing is, you know, very much what Cassie said, I'll echo everything she said. Um and for many of us suffering from trauma, it's the shame that keeps us stuck in this place. And so if we can connect to somebody, anybody, one person, or even a four-legged or a spiritual being that can help us move through the shame and let that go, I think this is really crucial for us as individuals. And I often share this because it was shared with me, is that um, we're all born sacred beings. We come from a sacred place. We're born sacred beings. We walk with our sacredness. Nothing or no one can take that away from us. And we will pass on when our, when our work is done here and the creator takes us home, we'll go to the other side with our sacredness intact. So when we're walking with that sacredness, you know, we, we embody that and we do our best to bring that out in others you know, to help other people heal and to keep healing ourselves, keep moving forward in a good way. So to, um, if we could just remind each other of our sacredness and reach out for it, because it's there, it's there. No amount of colonization could take that away from us. No amount of oppression, no amount of poverty, no amount of pain, no amount of trauma. We're like the wind in the water, my grandfather told me that. Be like the wind in the water and go around and go through. And be. And my mother always told me, never forget that you're silk, you're Okanagan. No one can take that away from you. So resilience is about knowing that and knowing that no one can take that away from us. My message is just that to everybody, to all. And um, speak about gratitude and how powerful that is in our laws and to reclaim those. And, you know, don't worry if you don't know them. They're out there. It just takes a little bit of courage to ask someone to teach you. We all have to be taught. And it's okay. It's part of our learning journey. All my relations. Why? 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 Nikki. Yeah, wow, you all have shared so many wonderful things. I'm sitting here being like, okay, what can I now say? <laughs> and I think um, obviously I echo what everyone has also shared. I, I authentically, firmly believe in everything that you have all shared uh, so far. Um, and I just think about, I reflect on my own path and my journey of being lost as a young girl, as a young person, and now as a, a young, you know, adult and, and trying to navigate who, who am I? And I often reflect on this concept of identity and, and what makes up my identity. Um, and, you know, it's difficult because I think, you know, part of my identity is not defined by me. It's defined by the other, something external. And so I've really had to work at that and really stand in my truth and in my strength of who am I? And I really truly feel 
that I am authentically me when I'm out by the water in the mountains, standing amongst the trees and just feeling that spiritual connection to all of the living around me. And, you know, I wish that, you know, these people who may be lost um, could find that. And I know that's really challenging because really it's about survival. And I often think about, you know, this concept of strength and the strength that we need to be able to navigate these systems as professionals, health professionals, Indigenous health professionals. And I just, I think about the things that I've gone through um, just to be sitting here with you all today in, in these spaces. And, but then my mind thinks about, you know, my brothers and my sisters, my loved ones that unfortunately are suffering who are uh, people of the homeless, houseless community here within Tecumlups, like here within Kamloops. And I just think, wow, like that, that to me is strength because they really do serve really, like they survive every single day. You know, I always send them the love and the light and, you know, hope that they find those spaces of connection, of relationship, of trust. And even if it's with not, even if it's not with me, even if it's with someone else who maybe forms that connection with them and creates that, that uh, pathway and grows in that pathway of strength of, okay, maybe I, if I trust this person, I can trust this person, right? Like creating those, those spaces of uh, connections, I think are, are so important. And I really stand firm in that because I've seen it happen. I've seen people who have been really suffering and struggling and have found their way by just being in relation to someone who they felt was safe and, you know, creating that meaning and purpose in their lives um, in even a small way, right? That act of kindness, walking by someone and saying, hello, how are you doing? Instead of, you know, turning a blind eye, right? Um, really acknowledging people and not acknowledging them for maybe what they appear to be, but who they are inside and the humanness, right? the humanness of who we are. And I really, really hope that our systems start to humanize all of these systems and structures, because that's what we truly need. And, um, you know, just to kind of share in a bit of a closing in regard to my message, it's just, you know, and something that I say to myself almost every day, and that I share with, with, the young ones in my family um, is to stand in your strength, stand in your truth, stand in the pride of who you are and where you come from. And I often hear, you know, elders within my community, knowledge holders within my community, within the Sahuatl Nation and beyond, right? You are the ones that the ancestors prayed for. And I find a lot of comfort in that. And I truly believe in that. And I walk forward in that way with gratitude, humility, and appreciating the gift of life. And I have a lot of hope for our future because we can't lose that. You know, our young ones are depending on that. And so that's why I, I show up. I be who I am authentically. And I'm like, let's do it. Let's give her. So yeah, good stuff, <laughs> I just thank you all my friends and relatives that come today. Oh my gosh. You know, I think of the 
this April Landry, one by one. One by one, we're going to win. And we are winning. That we must keep that in our mind. And what are we winning? We're winning ourselves back. Because there has been created identity for indigenous people right across this land. And it's unfortunate. I know I internalized it at times. That means I swallowed it and I became what they say and I was. Don't let anybody create your identity. Be yourself. It's like the young niece says, you know, Nikki says, embrace yourself. Embrace. Love yourself. You know, because then you can love others. Free yourself. If you're angry, afraid, or depressed, find a way to free yourself. You know, you go to the water, you go to the lodge, you go to the trees. You find a way to, they say in Chilch, let it come to the end. Don't carry it anymore. Now, when people look in your eyes, they don't see that anger when you put it down or that fear or depression. They see you. You know, and that's what I was referring to those elders I was listening to. And they're laughing and talking in their language, even though, like my grandfather, his daughter got taken to residential school and he went to jail because he said, no, you're not taking my daughter. But then he's with the people and they're talking the language, that laughter still bubbles up, you know. So they were medicine for each other. And I want to thank you for being medicine for Sahil this morning, today. That you you come and visit and be part of a podcast. Podcasts are actually storytelling, so it's nothing new for us. We're sharing history, we're sharing experience, we're sharing feelings. We connect that way. Uh, my message is um, return to the circle, connect to a circle. It doesn't matter where it is. If it's a friendship center, go to the friendship center. There's a circle there, become part of it. You know, and that's the most important thing is, is that we're human beings and we need people. We need each other. So find some positive role models, some people that are laughing and are kind and be with them and heal yourself. And don't reject help when it's there. One of these wonderful life givers, you see them, you don't be afraid to ask them even just for one bit of advice or encouragement or just thank them for being who they are. So if any of my listeners, if you meet one of these wonderful life givers, you thank them for what they do. Uh, I've been truly touched by your words today and your history, and I'm proud of you. Thank you for answering the call to support our brothers and sisters and our elders that are suffering. You know, and um, the land we, one by one, we're going to, we're winning.